0: Pass, pass the offering plate, it's one. Get in a small group, look online, see how to do that. We still need some folks to host a group. And Thursday night's prayer. So I'm going to spare the two-minute version of all that. Come on Tuesday night for prayer. We're going to dive in this morning. I believe the Lord has incredible plans for us and uh, for each of us in this life. I think we, uh, we all sell ourselves short and sell God short of what He really has in store but this morning is a simple message, but hopefully it is a challenging one. It is a discipleship lesson, a discipleship message. And basically what I mean by that is that with this information that I'm going to share with you, that's uh, I think a principle and a truth from Scripture, you're going to be invited to apply that. And that application of God's truth means change for your life. Ideally, that would be good news for all of us. And it is good news for those who have this good news living inside of them, the Holy Spirit, this this power of God to be Christ like as he continues to woo us and shape us into Christ likeness in this life that he's given us. So if you have your Bibles, if you want to turn with me, we're going to look at kind of the discipleship kind of mentality is what we're going to set up in Romans chapter 12. If you'll turn with me there. Romans chapter 12, Paul is um, inviting us. He says, therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This spiritual act of worship, what we've just done is worship. But this spiritual act of worship that Christ is calling us to clearly in this text says that we are offering our bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Verse two, do not be, do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing and perfect will. Anybody in here would, anybody in here love to know what God's perfect will for you is? I mean, really? I mean, that you could just in a, in a moment, in any instance, in any situation, just say, God, OK, what's your perfect will? There it is. Now I know what to do. Now I know what the decision is. Now I'm going to follow you. Right. What do what we just read? If you want to know what God's perfect and pleasing and good will is for our lives, what do we do? We offer our body as a living sacrifice. How do we offer our body as a living sacrifice? According to this text. Do not conform any longer to the way of this world instead be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So if we want to live our lives as a living sacrifice this being our spiritual act of worship before God then we are to be have our minds being transformed into what he would have us be. Are you with me? and in and in doing so then we discover God's will his perfect his pleasing will for our life so there's this clear action you know here's the application right off the bat is that it requires an effort from us here's the here's kind of the, a principle around this is that you know imagine my head you know has this little box you know and in that box is this little bitty brain of mine right but there's this brain in there Being transformed by the renewing of my mind means that the thoughts that I am accustomed to or the thoughts that I normally think are not necessarily the thoughts that God may choose for me to be thinking. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. If that renewing of your mind doesn't mean the thoughts that are going through my brain, then I don't understand what the mind is about, right? So Paul's lesson in this, Paul's Paul's piece, and this is just the platform in which this discipleship piece is coming to you this morning, is that... It is an invitation to take a principle, a truth of Scripture and have it be the way in which we think. What you think about God, A.W. Tozer says, what you think about God is the most important thing about who you are. What you think about God is the most important thing about you. And most of us, all of us, on on probably a daily basis or throughout a week, we have way too small a thought of God. We have way too big a thought of ourselves and about the things that we're dealing with in life, right? And we call those things fears, you know, these things that we're getting into. And so what we're going to look at this morning is that, you know, there is this antidote to the way, the pattern in which we're continually living in life that we may have fear or worry a part of who we are. Anybody ever have any worries? Anybody? Okay. Anybody got worries that just kind of constantly become distractions? Anybody want to know if you're in the midst of this worry? Mm, I wonder what God's perfect, pleasing will would be. Wouldn't that be nice to just kind of open up and find an answer? Well, that's what we're going to look at this morning. You see, we're going to dive into this topic of wisdom as the Bible addresses it. Now, wisdom, is we're a constant, as we're accustomed to, to looking at it or, or recognizing it, is, for instance, if, if J.D., this is an illustration I used earlier this morning. If J.D., I told you I was going to pick on you. If J.D. were a real estate guru, okay? I don't even know what you do for a living. But if he were, is it real estate? Okay. He's not a real estate guru. So don't see J.D. about real estate advice, okay? But we're pretending J.D. is this real estate guru. Right. People from all over the country come to J.D. and ask him about real estate. OK, let's just say that I happen to be in the. I'm, I'm, I'm house shopping, I'm looking to buy a home. Right. And I find this house in this great neighborhood. It's got a pool. Uh, it's the three bedroom, two bath we're looking for. It seems everything about this house seems great. Right. And I'm just ready to go buy this house. And then somebody says, well, you ought to ask J.D. about it. Right. And so in a moment's wisdom, I say, you know, God, before I sign the paper, it would be good to get J.D.'s advice. So JD, would you give me some advice on this house? And he goes over and he looks at the house and he comes back to me and he says, Scott, you don't want to buy this house. He said, the pool is leaking. It's going to cost this. These are these are huge issues that I always run into with pools. It's going to cost this to fix. You know This is wrong with a pool. It could be a liability to your neighbor's yard because it's leaking down into their yard. You've got leaky pipes in the house. The pipes are made out of this. They're this old, and they're already starting to leak. I see these different spots on the floor, and you're going to have to replumb your house. That's probably going to cost this. And, and he just goes on with this list of stuff, and I look back, and I'm like, Man, I thought this was like this really good idea. You know, I asked my 10-year-old if he wanted to live in a house with a pool, and he's like all excited. You know, he's convinced this is the house we're to buy, right? And after J.D. adds up all the tally of what this house is going to cost me, I look at it and say, I would be a fool to buy that house, right? That's the way we typically look at wisdom, and that is a, a version of wisdom. But for this context, we're going to call that wisdom with a lowercase w, Okay? Wisdom with the lowercase w is being able to have experience in an area and look at a situation and be able to speak to with some level of confidence and truth of what could become of an issue, right? And so somebody that has a lot of experience in an issue, a doctor or real estate, Guru, or whatever the case may be, may be able to look at this and give really good advice on this, and then hopefully all things worked out. You look back on and say, "Wow, that was really wise advice that that person gave me." Right now, do you think that the advice that J.D. gave me on this house that I was going to buy would be valuable to me? Do you think I would look at that after he went through his whole spiel and told me, showed me how this house is going to double my mortgage? Over the long haul, then just have one more is I'm going to have twice as much cost into this house over something different. Right. Do you think I would see that to be valuable if the man just saved me potentially one hundred thousand dollars because I chose not to buy that house? Do you think I would see that to have value? Right. That's the point. Wisdom is incredibly valuable. And that's what the Bible has to say about wisdom. But the Bible's not speaking to the wisdom just, you know, specifically that we're talking about in the lowercase w. The Bible has a whole nother level of wisdom that most of us do not necessarily practice on a daily basis. And it is wisdom with a capital W, we'll call it for today. Wisdom, biblical wisdom, is so much larger and so much more grand than the lowercase wisdom that we just discussed. The Bible says itself how valuable this is. There is nothing more valuable to be found on the earth than this wisdom. So we're going to look at that. If you'll turn with me, if you have your Bibles, we'll go to Job chapter 28. Now, I'm going to spare you all the big, long story. I mean, I have a discipleship group that I meet with early, a group of men I meet with early on Wednesday mornings. And I did this with a group last year. I told them. You know, my my group last year, I had they they had to sit through a whole morning of me reading Job to them, and uh, Job is one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. And if you, I'm not let myself run down that rabbit trail, but it's one of my favorite books in the Old Testament. And there's a lot of great theology in Job. It's not just the story about a guy who goes through hardship and then God kind of comes to restore him. It is this amazing book. It's you know, it's, it's a debate of what, is the, what the oldest book in the Bible is. It's either Job or Genesis, right? And a lot of, you know, historians give credit to Job. If you read Job and you understand Job and you look at the theology in Job, you're, I'm amazed at how much the rest of the Bible almost seems to be commentary that you find from Job. Solomon gets a lot of credit. A lot of what Solomon has to say in Proverbs is from Job. So, anyway, skipping forward. Job's the story of this guy... Who is found, has found favor with God? He's very wealthy, very well off, and then the, the Satan comes to God and asks if he can test him, right? If you know the story, you know what that really entailed. It was horrific what this guy went through. He lost his family. It's just a terrible story. He's, you know, he's got this diseases, you know, eating away at his body. He's in great pain. And he has these three lovely friends that come and visit him to encourage him. And they're the least encouraging people ever written in, in, in liturgy. I mean, in, in 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 history, they they come and they visit and all they do is they they beat him up practically verbally. And he's finally just like, can't you leave me alone? You know, you're not at all being encouraging. And then we've come to this turning point in the book, chapter 28, that we're going to get to. And this is what we find in chapter 28. They begin to dis- they begin to discuss Wisdom. And and when Job begins to discuss wisdom, he starts by saying that there is no mine of silver and no place where gold is refined. Iron is taken from the earth or copper is smelted from ore. There is no place on the planet that is not sought after. Men dig these deep mines looking for gold and silver and jewels, rubies and diamonds. And everywhere they go and everywhere we look, wisdom cannot be found. The most precious thing, the most precious things on the planet, man searches hard for. But where can wisdom be found? And so I'll pick up reading in verse 12. But where can wisdom be found? Where does understanding dwell? Man does not comprehend its worth. It cannot be found in the land of the living. The deep says it is not in me. The sea says it is not with me. It cannot be bought with the finest gold, nor can its price be weighed in silver. It cannot be bought with the gold of ophir or precious onyx or sapphires. Neither gold nor crystal can compare with it, nor can it be had for jewels of gold. Coral and jasper are not worthy of mention. The price of wisdom is beyond rubies. The topaz of cush cannot compare with it. It cannot be bought with pure gold. Where then does wisdom come from? Where does understanding dwell? It is hidden from the eyes of every living creature, concealed even from the birds of the air. Destruction and death say only a rumor of it has reached our ears. But God understands the way to it, and he alone knows where it dwells. For he views the ends of the earth and he sees everything under the heavens. When he established the force of the wind and measure out the waters. When he made the decree for the rain and a path for the thunderstorm. Then he looked at wisdom and appraised it. He confirmed it and tested it. And he said to man, the fear of the Lord, that is wisdom. And to shun evil is understanding. Do you think that understanding what the fear of the Lord Means might be valuable. If scripture and God himself is saying this is the most valuable thing on the planet that you can find. And I know where it is. No bird can see it from the air. No man can find it in the ground. But I know where it lies. Now if you turn with me to James. James chapter 1. Sorry, I should have marked James in my Bible. James chapter 1. I'm going to begin reading in verse 2. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. And it will be given to him. How many things do you know that are precious that if you simply asked for would be given to you in full measure? Yet that's what the Bible has to say about wisdom. Birds can't see it. Men can't find it. Death has only heard rumor of it. Yet God says, if you ask me, I'll give it to you freely. Wouldn't we all be fools to understand that point and not daily come before God and say, would you give me wisdom? And yet. I'll join the crowd. Aren't we all fools? So what is this great, incredibly valuable thing that the Lord says, I'll give it to you if you ask me? What is this fear of the Lord that he says wisdom is? This is my best definition for understanding the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is to be in trembling awe of who God is and understanding just how big God is. OK, so let's just dive into that for just a minute. God spoke and everything came into existence. OK, we look through the Hubble telescope and we look out at some of the furthest stars and we look into see scientists would tell us that, though, that that star is 100 million light years away. Long way. And that's just a star that we can see that's not that far. 100 million light years away, right? Now, just to unpack that a little bit for you. It's 100 million light years away. So 100 million years ago, that star that we're looking at through that telescope, this is the picture of what it was. Because that particle of light has been traveling for 100 million years at the speed of light to get to the Hubble telescope to see that image. It's not a live shot, if you didn't know that. This is what will blow your mind about space. You're not looking... When you look at the stars, you're not looking at the picture that's taking place. You're looking at the picture that was taking place either minutes ago or years ago or hundreds of millions of years ago. That was the picture that of that light particle back then. Did you know that? And God spoke and scripture says he he scattered the stars with his hand friends as big as you can imagine god to be be creative imagine just how big god is if he just scattered those stars out with his hand and however big you can imagine him to be you just got a glimpse of how big he really is just a glimpse not even the true reality it's mind-blowing The fear of the Lord is to, however much you believe and can imagine God loves you, however big that is, it is barely a glimpse of the reality of how much He loves you and me and this world He created. However big, however powerful you believe God can be, you've just got a glimpse of the reality of God's power. The fear of the Lord is to recognize that, that's pretty big you with me now applying that fear of the Lord of how big God is into our lives is what the Bible calls capital W wisdom. So now imagine the situation where your child is going into this person's class and you have heard bad things about that teacher and how upset and worried you're going to be for what your child's experience is going to be because they're not getting the best teacher that you've heard of through the grapevine for their class. And the worry and the stress and the concern and the lost sleep and everything else that may be taking place because you're worried about what situation your child's going into. Anybody ever have anything remotely similar to to that take place? Any kind of little... And then if you applied wisdom to it, wow, it's pretty small. It's not so big anymore, right? Sure, it's something I love my child and I, I want the best for him, right? But... If God is in control of this and I give this to him and he is fully capable of being able to handle anything that comes his way, if he is in this process, then what do I have to fear? You with me? So what we have, friends, is that we have fear in the way that we know it. These worries and concerns about situations and circumstances of our life, these negative effects that we are experiencing or expecting to experience by things in life. And those things can literally become handcuffs on our hands and chains that bind us into this fear, this worry. But the Bible gives us an antidote to that, to this fear, and it's called fear. It's the fear of the Lord. What are these worries and concerns compared to true wisdom that says, what is impossible for our God? Look at how big God is. How does this moment, how does this concern compare with the reality of a God that has everything at his disposal? You know, the most common, the most used command throughout Scripture. Anyone, anyone want to take a guess of what that most used command would be? Wow, y'all are smart. Do not fear. And the next part is, don't be afraid. I am with you. Anybody want God with you? If he's this big, if he's this powerful, if he's this incredible and he has this much love for us and he wants nothing but the best in store for us, do we not want him with us? And he more than we want him with us, he wants to be with us. He wants to be with us so much that he gave his life of his only son that we could. He could reinstate that opportunity for a relationship with us. He wants to be with us. Jesus even said, go and make disciples, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and teach them all the things I've commanded you to do. For lo, I will be with you. I will be with you. Even to the end of the age. And in this paradigm that we find ourselves in, in this little box that we were talking about, There's a transformation in most all of our lives that needs to take place to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that we're living in the thought process life of fear of the Lord, that this capital W wisdom trumps everything else in life. It trumps the other wisdom. The other little lowercase wisdom only works when it's in conjunction with fear of the Lord being first. Then you can find some wisdom for practical things through that. But if you you elevate this wisdom to be grand then you're making God small. So it's as simple as this. Fear of the Lord, wisdom, the most valuable thing that the Bible says you can find while here, that God will freely give you if you ask, is recognizing and trying to dream about how big God is and in that reality realize just how small we are. And then not just only how small we are, how small this little concern we must have would be. Are you with me? As we see this opportunity to be transformed by the renewing of our minds, to apply godly wisdom, to apply the fear of the Lord, that God is so big into our lives, it requires something tremendous of us. It puts the very essence of what pleases God on the forefront of our life. Hebrews eleven six says it is impossible to please God apart from faith. We cannot live lives of faith. By God being small. Our minds thinking that God is small when we recognize the true reality and we begin to practice and trust that God is as big as he says he is. And he is fully capable to do everything he says he can do and that he fully loves us and has plans for our future to be prosperous. And we trust that. Then what do we have to worry about and what concerns should we have about the things of this world? That sounds a lot like what Jesus said. In Luke chapter twelve, a couple of different times, he says, "Do not fear what man can do to you, but by all means fear the Lord." Later in that later in that chapter, he goes on to say, "You know, don't worry about what you're going to eat and what you're going to drink. Did not you know Solomon in all his splendor? Uh, did he not even compare with the lilies of the field and the Lord?" knows how to feed the sparrows how much more important are you than sparrows the lord knows what your needs are and he will take care of you do not worry do not fear the lord says i am with you but we live in this mindset the way of the world as we're going back to romans 12 to look at to be conformed by this way that we're used to thinking is that if if time is this linear thing right we have the present and we have the past And we have the future, right? In our present moment, we look at the past and we we see the hurts and the pains and the rejection and the failures. And we look at those difficult things. And if we allow them to continue to be a part of our life, we look at our present time and we say, I don't want to feel pain. I don't want to have that experience again. And so conventional wisdom would lead us to the mindset that says, because at all costs, I want to avoid pain. I'm going to make decisions for my future. If if this thing sounds a little bit like my experience here and that wasn't good, then by all means, I want to avoid that. With everything I have. So I'm going to make a decision to try to step around that and keep that from ever being able to happen and take place. Right. So as we're looking at the choices that we're making, we're looking and thinking, what could that lead to? And that leads to something that hurts from the past. And so I'm going to make all the decisions that I can ultimately motivated by avoiding pain. And that's the mentality that the world and that we're all accustomed to think. But the Lord says, no. The Lord says in the present, look at the past and as we've allowed him to, we look and we say, wow, look at how good you are that you turn this broken relationship into something that was reconciled. Look at the pain that took place in this and look at how you've healed me. Look at the look at the separation that happened here and look how you've used that to grow me to be a person that trusts in you. The plan that the Lord has is that we stand in the present, we look at the past and we worship God for who he is and the love that he has for us. And we have this testimony of how powerful God is and what he's done to transform our lives from what it had been. If we've given him that past, if we've surrendered those things. And then we stand in the present and we see just how good God is. And we have this memory of just what what God can do. And then we look at the future and we have nothing but hope. Because if he can do this, then surely he can do that. And so we look at the future and we look and we see this is a God of hope. This is a God who is bigger than, greater than, stronger than. And he has nothing but plans to prosper those who trust in him and will follow him and have faith in him. What is impossible for God? Fear, the way and worry, is defeated when the Spirit of God is released within us to have faith and practice wisdom to trust this God that is fully capable to handle any of our needs and situations. Does that mean that I can stand in the present and never expect hardship to come my way? This is not prosperity gospel, trust me. I absolutely expect hardship to come my way. Happy for it. Happy for it because of a person living in faith. It's impossible to please God apart from faith. A person living in faith can now look at the future and even see some specific difficulties that could be taking place and begin to dream and to wonder, Ooh, I wonder. I know that that difficulty is something God's going to do and use to bring glory to himself, because that's what Bible says he does. This is who God is. I bring glory to myself. Everything that I do, I work out to glorify me. That's what this God is. And that he, because he is so good, there is nothing else. If we said that, it'd be selfish. But he's saying that, but he's God. There's nothing greater than God. So there's nothing greater than God bringing glory to himself. And his plan is to bring glory to himself. So I look at this, what would be hardship? And I look at it and say, thank you for this opportunity that you're leading me into. I don't like it. It's probably not going to feel good, but I'm excited about what you're about to do because I know this is who you are. You are unchanging and you bring glory to yourself. And if we will trust you and have faith in you, you will reconcile, you will redeem, you will have plans for our future to be prosperous. And so I get to walk with you through this what could be difficult thing and even speak truth into it of how good you are in the midst of it friends. In John 10:10, 10, 10, Jesus said, "The enemy comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I came that you might have life and have it to the full." This topic, this discussion that we're describing as we see in scripture, those who practice this fear of the Lord is described that they experience life. This is life. This is the life that Christ desires for us to experience in abundance. That the worries and the current concerns and the fears of what may become or what circumstance may take place that otherwise control us and have us thinking negative things are not the plan. But that we instead we're replacing those thoughts. We're being transformed by the knowing of our mind to dream just how big God is. I want to share a story with you. Just one story. No one may it'll turn into three, but one story. Jonathan. It's the son of the king, Saul. Saul was the king before David. OK, Jonathan, the king's son and David were best friends. Right. And in this story, we're, I mean, I'm in First Samuel, chapter 14. You can go read it later today. In this story, um, the nation of Israel had their armies together and they were being invaded by the Philistines and the Philistines were on this outside camp. OK, and there were these cliffs that that had these watchtower areas where. Philistine some of the Philistine army would stand on these cliffs and look out and be a watch guard for their army, right? And Jonathan gets his sword bearer and says, Come on, let's sneak away and let's go to the cliffs and see the Philistines. So Jonathan, the king's son, I never saw the foreshadowing of this for now. Solomon the king's son slips away with his sword bearer and goes to the cliffs. And he's talking to his sword bearer and he says, okay, here's the deal. We're going to stand up and they're going to see us. And if they call to us to come over, then we know that the Lord has delivered them into our hand. And if they say, wait there, we're coming over to you, then we need to get out of here. Okay? And so, because what's, what, what Jonathan says in this passage, he says, let's go over and see them. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving whether many or by few. Jonathan has this courage to leave his camp, to go to the enemy's camp, to call out and say, hey, we're over here. And just to see what their response is, let's see if the Lord wants to deliver them into our hand. Because Jonathan has this fear of the Lord. What's impossible for our God? What is God too small to save us from whether it be a few or many? And you know what the men's reply was when they popped up? They said, hey, look, you know, the Israelites are popping up like gophers out of the, out of the ground. Come on over. And Jonathan smiles at the sword bearer. The Lord's given him over to us. And they climb this cliff, the text says. Climb this cliff, and the next thing that happens, it says that Jonathan and his sword bearer killed 20 men in the, in the span of a half an acre. And it sent fear throughout the whole Philistine army. And they started killing each other and running away. All this is, is Jonathan moving with wisdom to see that what is impossible for my God? The Bible is full of these stories. Look at Gideon, the weakest man in the weakest tribe in all of Israel. And the Lord leads him against this vast army. And the Lord does the work. Who got the credit? God. Who's going to get the credit when two men slay 20 and it casts fear through the whole army and they start killing each other? God. Who's going to get the credit when Gideon... Takes these 300 men against some odd 30,000. God. Who's going to get the credit when God moves in you, Jonathan or Gideon? In the circumstance that he has before you. To be a person who trusts in him and has faith. And views God to be who he is. and, And functions with wisdom and fear of the Lord. And uses you to do some mighty great thing. Think of the stories you'll get to tell your grandkids. These are the stories that are passed down to us through this text, the Bible. This is the way that God desires for his people to live. This is the way that God desires for us to experience life. And so many of us throughout our daily process have not yet begun disciplining or practicing, imagining this transformed mind, this way in which God is inviting us to Trust him with just how big he is and how great a plans he has in store for us. We get caught up in this box of looking at the past and looking to the future and wanting to be complacent because it feels safe. Jonathan was not in that place. He stood in the moment and he looked and see he, he was able to dream. I wonder what God might want to do that would be miraculous. Let's slip away and go find out. We're the Jonathans in our day. Stevie, won't you be a model? Won't you be an example? Show us what it looks to look like live by faith. Who's willing to stand up and dare a Philistine army in our camp? Who's willing to step out in faith and trust and see just how big God might choose to be and what he might want to do to bring glory to himself? Who's willing to practice some wisdom and have a story to tell? Because God is faithful and his word is true. But we all find ourselves in our meager stance of living in the moment, fearful of what it might mean, what it might cost or what it could bring. When God is saying, I'm looking throughout the whole world, looking for a heart to trust me. No eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind can see what I have in store for those who love me. Yes, it's the beginning of the year. And yes, and probably sermons all over the country are talking about what this year could become. Look at just how miraculous it could be if you applied wisdom just to your everyday situation. Just to the thing that you're fearing most today. Not even to mention for those among us that may be Jonathan's or Gideon's that the Lord wants to use to fully trust him and to be radical and to have some amazing story to tell about who God is and how great this God we worship is and the love that he has for us. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, that you don't allow us or invite us to complacency. Thank you, Lord. You have so much more in store for us or because it's all about you. You love us. You love us so much. You want to pour life into us so much that it just has to overflow for people to look and wonder. For you to get all the credit. Not that we could receive credit, but surely there's a miraculous God that created everything that is at work in this thing. Thank you, Lord, that you're inviting us to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. And by doing so, discovering this perfect will that you have in store for us, Lord. Lord, more than anything. Thank you that we don't have the courage on our own to choose this. Thank you, Lord, that it requires faith in who you are. Thank you, Lord. That you have plans That we don't even know of. But you invite us to live in the moment. And to trust you. You don't promise to show us what all the steps are. Or how it will end up. Because you are inviting us to discover who you truly are. You want to reveal yourself to us. So Lord, I pray right now. Won't you open up heaven? Won't you pour out this spirit of wisdom? on this place won't you stir within your people a faith that walls cannot hold in that cities and states and countries tell stories of how great you are by how you moved not for our sake lord but for yours pour out your spirit on this place and these your people free us from the past way of living Transform our minds to something so much greater. And Lord, let us never settle for yesterday's bread. It is not enough for today. So let us feast on you. And may you delight in men and women who are dare to have faith. Come, Lord, and have your way. In Jesus' name, amen.